y'all could turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. That's where we will begin. I've titled this particular message, Family Matters, Part 2, Revenge. And we'll talk about David getting revenge, or was he doing the Lord's will in taking care of these characters from his uh, past and going into Solomon's kingdom. And as you can see, some of the issues he had with his family in chapter one, uh, chapter one with uh, Adonijah and then uh, with the people who followed him. So there was, there was quite a bit of family disturbance uh, with King David. And as we get into King Solomon's reign, we see some of that to start to kind of die down a little bit as we get into it. So let's go ahead and turn to verse 1 and 2. And it reads, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. So he charges Solomon with what he needs to do next and, and the duties he'll have to hold as a king over Israel and, and the different, different things that come with ruling the nation. But we also see here that David says he goes the way of the earth. Now, in this particular time, there was not much teaching on the resurrection of the, of the body or or where necessarily you would go after the afterlife. So David here, thinking that he's going to go the way of his fathers, which is to the grave. Uh, but nowadays, with, with Christ dying and resurrecting, we can now say, hey, I go to be with the Lord. I go to be with Jesus now. Uh, my daughter Jade, it was kind of, kind of heartwarming when she said this. Uh, she had an issue with her stomach, and they thought maybe it could have been appendicitis or what have you. So on the way to the emergency room to go get x-rays, uh, she told me, Daddy, you know what, if I have to have surgery and I have to die, that might be a win-win. Because if I die, I'm going with Jesus. But if I live, I'm going to stay with you. And that kind of brought a little bit of tears to my eyes. I thought that was very sweet, and she knew where she was going to go when that time came. And that, that brought comfort to my heart. So now we can say, hey, I'm going to the Lord when I die. And David didn't necessarily, he, he knew that he was going to be with the Lord, but he didn't necessarily know how that was going to work out. And we also look at one of the charges that he brought to King Solomon. And he said, prove yourself to be a man. Now, I know a lot of dads growing up tell their sons, be a man, be tough, don't cry. You know, you got to be a tough guy growing up. And, and looking at David's life, David was, really was a man's man. David, David, without a doubt, was. I mean, he grew up as a, as a, as a little boy, as a shepherd, killing lions and bears and and. and, and leading his sheep to steal waters and taking them through the valley of the shadow of death we spoke about in Psalms 23. He lived a, a tough life. Not only that, he killed giants as he got a little bit older. And he was able to slay these giants for the nation of Israel. And he also ended up conquering nations as a king. So we see David is really a man's man. And if we look at the life of Solomon, maybe as a child, he maybe didn't have to go through all the things that King David did. He grew up in the palace. I'm sure his mother Bathsheba took good care of him, and he didn't have to go through a lot of the trials and tribulations that David, his father, had to go through. And I also think as parents, we try to give our children a life better than maybe what ours were growing up. And we try and, and set a path for them to be able to walk in where they may not have to struggle or go through the trials and tribulations that we may have gone through as children. And even King David, 
Solomon becomes king, but whenever Absalom died, they said that he mourned, mourned for him. That's his son. And maybe he even looked at Absalom as saying, hey, this guy's manliness could almost rival mine because he, he may have been that type of man too, even though there were some big issues with him. And he's telling King Solomon to be a man, and King Solomon at this time, I was reading, is anywhere between 16 and 20 years old. So he's still, still a young guy, still trying to figure out who he is. And uh, King David's telling them to be a man. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the childish things away. And there's a, there's a time in our lives, whether a man or a woman, or a boy or a girl, we need to put the childish things away and step into maturity. And at this point in time, Solomon is thrust into that. He needs to become mature. He needs to become the man that Israel needs him to be and his family needs him to be. So you may feel like a child, and they call us a child of God, but God does call us to maturity in our walk. And we all need to reach that at some point in time. So as we continue on, we're going to read through verses 3 and 4. And it says, And keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with, and with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So walking in God's ways, what does that necessarily mean for us? So David's telling Solomon to walk in the ways of the Lord, and we understand it to be the law of the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments and all those things that were set forth before them. And those are, and those are the, the, the rules and regulations that they had to follow. But what does that mean for us? We also need to walk in the way of the Lord so that we may prosper in life and that we may prosper our family and walk in the blessings of the Lord. So following the ways of the Lord at this point would, would be reading our word, living in, having prayer, walking in integrity, being a witness to those who are around us, and never compromising on the word of the Lord, never, never feeling ashamed of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking his ways. And we also need to teach the ways of the Lord to our own children, that they can grow up and walk in his blessings and walk in his prosperity as well, that we need to teach the next generation to do this as well. But David also, in verse 4, says that David remembered this and that this particular blessing came with a condition, that he would have someone on the throne at all time came with a condition. It was, it, it was not unconditional. And this condition basically said that if your children keep the ways of the Lord, you will always have someone on that throne. And as we get through the book of 1 Kings and into 2 Kings, we'll see how this did not happen. Solomon did not follow the way of the Lord. He, he, he drew away from him at some point. And then the other kings started to come in and took the kingdom that, that was David's. It was blessed by God to be David's kingdom, taken away from him. Because why? They didn't follow the way of the Lord. They didn't follow the statutes that God had put before him. 
God's promises, they never fail us. We often fail at the promises he wants to give us. He'll set conditions. If you do this, this will happen. And often, just as we see here, the human side falls. We fall hard sometimes. And those promises that God has promised us, sometimes we have to wait till later in life to get them because we didn't follow through right then and there on what he wanted. And we've seen pastors in the news, we've seen other leaders in the news that have fallen from God's grace because they did not follow the ways of the Lord and what the Lord wanted for them. So the Lord removed them from those positions. And we'll see the same thing happen here in 1 Kings. Continuing on in verse 5 through 9, it reads, Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zerah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner and the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, and he shed the blood of war in peacetime, and put the blood of war on his belt, what was around his waist, and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hairs go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of uh, Barzilla, the Gildite, and let them be among those who eat at, the, at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And we see you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, from Baharam, who, cur- who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when we went to Manaham. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan and swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are wise man and know what you ought to do ought to do to him, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. So now David goes from giving him general instructions on following the Lord and what he should do for the kingdom to very specific instructions of what he needs to do with these people who harmed him in his kingdom at some time. It was almost like a revenge list of, of what needs to be done, cleaning house before Solomon would take over. So we look at Joab, because of the two murders that he committed, he needed to be put to death, because he did just during peacetime, it was not during war. He faked a friendship with these guys and, and killed them in cold blood. David also asked that Barzilla be shown kindness. Barzilla ended up bringing him food and supplies to him whenever he was on the run from Absalom. So he's asking that Solomon show him the same courtesies as David did. And then we look in verse 10, it talks, uh, we look at, David talks about Shimei. He would not be put to death by David's sword. No, he wouldn't, just like David said. But Solomon would take care of this for him. <clears throat> and Shimei was the one who cursed David. And what he, one of the statutes he broke was in Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight. it says, You shall not revile God nor curse rulers of his people. And I'm thinking about that. How many of us, if we still had to live by that law today and die according to that that particular law, how many of us would be dead right now? How many times have we cursed God, maybe not with our words, but with our, with our actions or our thoughts? And how many times have we cursed the politicians that God put in, uh, in, in places to rule over us? 
I mean, just with these two elections with uh, President Obama and President Trump, all the hate that's being spewed out there in the media, and, and I'm no different. I'm, I'm just as guilty of it at times. So I'm glad that these instructions uh, that were in the Old Testament do not necessarily apply to it to that extent, but we still need to watch what we say about who God has put in these different positions. God puts them in position to, to, for his purpose and his, his will. So we just we have to bear with it. Verses 10 through 12, it reads, So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. So here David dies. He goes away of his, of his fathers. He goes to the Lord. And David started ruling right about the time he was around 30 years old. And I was doing a little bit of research on the, the year, the 30th year of a person. And there were several things within the Bible I found that had to deal with 30 years. Levites assumed their ministry at about 30 years old. Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt around 30 years old. Ezekiel began making powerful prophetic proclamations around the age of 30. John the Baptist began to prepare the way of the kingdom of God around the age of 30. And Jesus began, began his ministry at the age of 30. So it seems like the years leading up to your 30th birthday is years of preparation and years of training. So if you're below the age of 30, which is only a couple of you here, Start training yourself up in the wisdom of God. Start, at, start seeking God and finding out what God has for your life and has for your family's life if you have one or are about to start one. If you're over the age of 30, walk in maturity, walk in wisdom, walk in the ways of the Lord. If you're under the age of 30, listen to your elders, learn from them, because we have a lot to say. If you're under 30, I mean, if you're over 30, Set the pace for those who are watching you. Because little eyes are watching all the time. My two little eyes are watching every move I make. And I can't disappoint them. Even though I will, I'll try not to. But they're watching. I've heard it said once that the difference between a politician and a statesman is that a politician is looking for the next election. But a statesman is looking for the next generation. So may God make us statesmen and not politicians, and that we lead a good path for this next generation. So as we continue on, we'll go to verse 13, and it reads, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So he said, Do you come? So she said, Do you come, and come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. She seemed to be very direct with him. Then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine, and all of Israel has set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become uh, my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now, does Adonijah really believe that Solomon's reign was from the Lord? I think he's just trying to throw some sweetness in there 
while talking to Bathsheba to mean like, you know, I'm not coming in with any, you know, any motives. I'm coming in here, you know, innocent, but we know he's not. Now I ask one petition of you, petition of you, do not deny me. And she said to him, say it. Then he said, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag, the Shunammite, Shunammite woman, uh, Shunammite as my wife. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother so that she sat at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, for him and for Abiathar, the priest, and for Joab, the son of Zariah. The, the king Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. So he's signing off on his death warrant by, by saying this. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck, down, struck him down, and he died. So Adonijah, at this point, is now dead. And as Adonijah is put to death, we, we, we see him asking for Abishag, the Shunammite, who was part of David's harem. So once again, he's trying to make a move on the kingdom. Now, whether or not Bathsheba knew this is what he was trying to do or she was naive to what he was really asking, we don't know. But we look at this, and by asking this, he comes in saying that he's coming in peace, but he's trying to take the kingdom. And we've seen people that are very naive, and I'm not saying Bathsheba was or she wasn't but that will share their life stories with people, that will tell them all kind of things they really don't need to know, and they've only had five minutes to meet with them. And I don't know if Bathsheba was being deceived into this and, and not understanding what his real ploy was, but we need to be careful when we're, we're speaking to people and be more alert when we are, are conversating with people. And we can't let their, their, sometimes their evil motives kind of sneak in and take over certain things. So we're looking at Adonijah, and he's asking for the Shunammite woman. Now, it was customary for, for men in these days that, that would, uh, after a leader would die, they would take over their harem, and they would basically become the leader of that kingdom or what have you. And this is exactly what Adonijah was trying to do. And Absalom tried to do that years back whenever he came in and slept with some of the harem of David. So he was trying to make a power move there as well for the kingdom. And all, all, once again, we have Adonijah trying to make the same power move. And we also see when Solomon was talking with Bathsheba about this, 
she asked that he would not deny her request. Now, of course, Solomon's going to say that this is his mother, so he's going to be kind to her and say, yes, whatever you want, I'll go ahead and do. But once he understood what the request was, his priorities had to change. He could no longer just do what his mother had done. Now his priorities lied with God and the kingdom, no longer lied with her as a parent. So he had to do what was right in the sight of God. And when we get saved, our priorities have to change. Our priorities have to be God and his way, and everything else has to be secondary in our life. So as we see King Solomon changing his priorities to, be, to live for God and to rule in this kingdom, so we need to change our priorities as believers as well. And we also look at this evil that he was trying to do. In Ecclesiastes 8.11, Solomon writes about, it says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of, son, the, heart of the sons of men is full, uh, fully set in them to do evil. So whenever evil rears its head up, we need to cut it off. We need to stop it in its track where it's at. And King Solomon is doing this right here to Adonijah. As he's trying to rear his head up and try and take over the kingdom, he cuts, cuts the snake's head off where, where it is and deals with it swiftly. So as we continue reading, we'll go to verse 26, and it reads, And to Abiathar, the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli and Shiloh. So here we see Abiathar being moved, and he's going to start dealing with some of the other fools that David had to deal with in his kingdom, and we start off with Abiathar. So Abiathar is removed from his priestly duties. And if we read in uh, 1 Samuel 2, 30 through 31, it speaks about that, about the house of Eli would no longer have priesthood within his family and that it would be removed. And this is a fulfillment of that saying right here. So Abiathar is now out of the picture. So now we're going to move on to Joab, which we start off in verses 28. And it reads, The news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns on the altar. So see, we see the horns of the altar once again come up. And King Solomon was told Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaniah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No, but I will die here. And Benaniah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered. Then the king said to him, Do as he has said, and strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me, take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab has shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he. 
and killed them with the sword. Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah. Though my father David uh, did not know it. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the heads of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army. And the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. So Joab did some good for King David while he was there, but he also did a lot of harm. And one thing he did wrong was obviously the murders of, of the two generals, but also trying to join uh, Adonijah in, in the up, uh, upthrow of King David's reign. Joab had been guilty of premeditated murder. He had been guilty of anarchy. But he had also thought that he, can, he would get away with a lot of things and get away from being punished because he knew something that only two other people in God knew, and that was Bathsheba and Nathan knew that David had ordered the murders of Uriah. So I think he held this over David's head that, hey, David's not going to do me anything because he, he knows that I know that he, tried to, that he had Uriah killed. So he was holding this over his head. And Joab tried to seek, uh, seek sanctuary in the tabernacle by going run to the horns, but that didn't work. And 1 Peter 3.16 says, As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak uh, for vice, but as bondservants of God. We cannot use our liberty as Christians to try and get away with sin. We, may, we have freedom in Christ, and that freedom is for Christ and by Christ. So yes, we do have liberties, but we should not be sinning. And Joab thought by playing this religious game, by running to the tabernacle and running to the altar, that he would be set free, seeming that he was running there for, for mercy. But he had deceit in his heart. So the word of God was very, is a very strong thing. And concerning this, we, we have to think about what the Bible says. The Bible says that we should not be running to Calvary and using it as a cloak, using it, using it as a, a facade in front of people, but yet sin behind closed doors. God sees all. We should not be using our liberty in Christ to do what we want and try and get away with what we want. God warns, this, warns us of this, that the people who do this are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Joab thought he was safe. Joab thought he would be great if he just threw himself down at the altar or we throw ourselves down at the cross thinking and playing a religious game that we're going to be okay. So let us ask, Lord, have I been clinging to the altar, thinking that I'm home free in reality, I'm disobeying you? playing this religious game, and this is what Joab is doing. We need to learn our lessons that we need to not play games with God, that he is not one to be played with. So let's not be deceived. There will be those who will be surprised on the day of judgment when they walk up and they say, Lord, Lord, but he says, I never knew you because they played the game of religion. I pray that we, that we will all listen to God and his corrections 
and that we all would have understanding that our freedom is for Christ and by Christ. And that's where our freedom lies. Not freedom to do as we please, but freedom to do the will of God. So we will continue on in verse 36. It says, Then the king sent and called for Shimei, and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem, and dwell there, and do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron. No, for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, Thy saying is good. As my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkeys, and went to Achish at Gath and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you in saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And he said to me, The word I have here heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? The king said, Moreover to Shimei, You know as your heart acknowledges, all the wickedness that you, have, that you did to my father David. Therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. So we have Solomon here showing some mercy and actually testing the loyalty of Shimei. This is the guy who cursed King David, cursed God, but was let off the hook by King David. And now Solomon is testing him as well. Let's see if he remains loyal to the kingdom and remains loyal to me as the king. And we, and we as men and women shall all be a loyal and found loyal in the sight of God. Loyal to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And have a life of integrity. Solomon has showed mercy to Shimei and was very gracious to him. Hey, just stay in Jerusalem. You don't leave. Everything will be okay. Now, it says three years later, and whether Shimei forgot this oath or he disregarded it, we do not know. But he did leave to go get his servants. So I would think if a threat was made to me that, hey, you stay here, you die, I'm going to remember that three years later. So I think he had no regard for what Solomon had to say. So we need to learn to keep our word and be people of integrity. We need to be, we need to be trusted in the small things. We need to let our yeses be yes and our noes be no. Plain and simple. So now it is that, we, that he cursed, not only has he cursed King David, but now he's also disregarded what King Solomon said. So Solomon summons him to come see him. It was almost like he was going to the principal's office. I don't know if y'all have ever been to the principal's office. I've gone a couple times. Uh, but I, I can almost guarantee you that Shimei's life is now passing before his eyes as he's going to see King Solomon because he knows what the fate's going to be. I don't believe King Solomon is going to show him any kind of grace anymore. 
after disobeying like he did. Same can be said about us. You know, we're born into sin, and we're, we're at odds with God, and we're offered a pardon through his amazing grace. The, the author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 2.3, it says, How shall we escape, it, escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If we neglect the salvation that Christ gives to us, if we neglect the grace that he's given to us, there is no escape. You're on a one-way ticket, straight, straight to hell. There, there's no other escape. And with Shimei, he neglected the grace of Solomon and what Solomon had gave to him. So he, he's on a one-way road straight to death as well. We shouldn't neglect the grace of God. We should not neglect what he's done for us. Our Savior crossed the brook of Kidron to take our place. So let us not be like Shimei who didn't stay in Jerusalem. Let's stay in Jerusalem. Let's stay in Christ and stay in his grace. Let's not forsake that salvation, but let's embrace that salvation. Amen? So as we end in chapter 2, we see the transition from David to Solomon and how a lot of David's enemies are thinned out and the, and the, the, the way for Solomon is paved for peace and prosperity in his reign. And we'll start in verse three, uh, chapter 3 next week. Amen? Amen? All right. Father, we thank you for this time tonight, Lord. And may we walk in your ways, Lord. May we not forget your ways and that we, we study your word and we get into prayer and we just lift you up, Father God, that our ways may be straight because we are following you, Lord. We're walking in integrity and we're walking in your ways, Lord, and we're listening to your commands, Father God. I pray that your word tonight will, will just penetrate our hearts, Father, and that we can just learn from the application that's, that's within this, Father God, and that we can just, just model our life around you and give you praise and give you honor and glory for, for all the grace you have given to us, Father God. May we never neglect that. Uh, we just pray for your traveling mercies tonight, and we pray for all those on our prayer list, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.